We are here at Battleground South Cigar Lounge in Columbia, Tennessee. You got the owner and founder, Julian Griffin, here. That's right. That's Julian, right. what are we doing today and why are we doing it here? You know, I don't know. What are we doing here today? You know? <laughs> Hopefully changing the world. <laughs> yeah, we are going to yeah. change the world uh, one quote at a time. So um, thanks, first off, for being here. Uh, we started this uh, with you uh, some months ago, and I said that Battleground South would be a great place for people to come or for you to come back and interview a lot of my customers who have a lot of great ideas about what's going on in the, in the world today. Uh, so this is, you know, we talked about doing our own podcast at one point called Around the Lounge. Remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, even though, you know, you decided not to do that with us, and we'll kind of continue. <laughs> <laughs> We're in a long-distance relationship, <laughs> That's man, right, yeah. you know, but yeah. I was going to say something, but I can't swear on the radio. No, you can't, so. yeah. <laughs> But uh, so, yeah, so we've got three uh, gentlemen here today that have decided to be part of this uh, roundtable, so to speak, with some really, really exciting uh, topics that we're going to. And hopefully this won't be the first one. This may be the first in a series uh-huh. that we do here at the lounge. So mm-hmm. uh, Battleground South is sponsoring this, of yeah. course. Uh, oh, I use like a bunch of cigars on his way out of here. So for the sponsorship. But uh, yeah, I know, I know yeah. you're looking, you're looking. Hope Can't you wait. like that one. Yeah, I do. That cigar is very special, by the way. Uh, that cigar, actually, we should make TRC the sponsor of this uh, podcast. You know, can you? Uh, we can. I'll just tell them they are yeah. <laughs> done. Yeah, they're uh, in Nicaragua. So, uh, and you know, just something very special about that cigar. I told you a little bit about it earlier, but uh, we, I happened when I was in Nicaragua to come up upon that uh, factory or that uh, farm. You know, we were looking for a uh, tobacco or a, a uh, coffee plantation. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got to the coffee plantation. I looked over to the left, and I said, wait a minute. Those look like tobacco, uh, cigar tobacco. And um, went over, met the owner, and turns out, you know, he uh, has cigars that he doesn't distribute to the, to the U.S. He only distributes his cigars into uh, Nicaragua, uh, Honduras, Costa Rica, and places in South and Central America, and doesn't export them here. Uh, so I made a deal with uh, Drew Estate and um, to ex to uh, actually export their cigars to the U.S. and we are the only cigar lounge in the United States that actually has that particular cigar. And I gave that special to you because it's a very very special stick to me, and I hope you like it. Yeah, so far so good. Good, good, yeah, good. It's only going to get better, baby. Yeah. It's only yeah. going to get better. <laughs> Hopefully, just like this podcast. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, you guys have fun, and uh, I look forward to some great reviews coming back from this. Uh, there's one guy over to my right here with the hat on that you have to be uh, very special uh-huh. uh, handle with kid gloves, you know, <laughs> and uh, because I, I don't want to hear any bad things from him, but he is my friend and I'm glad he's here as well. So uh-huh. we'll try. That's up to him. So yeah, Tom, you heard him <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> loud and clear. Cattle Call Podcast got a very special episode, most guests ever, and we're doing it out here at Battleground South Cigar Lounge in Columbia, Tennessee. Got three guests here. We have Tom DuBois, we have John Fuer, and we have David Cruz. David Cruz actually has the easiest name to say here at this table today. <laughs> and then I'm Isaac Weston, the host. Uh, guys, how are we doing? Great. Oh, doing great today. Yeah. Fantastic. Good. Excited to be here. Very. It's an honor. 
And it's an honor. Yes. I mean, would you be here either way, smoking a cigar? Well, we would be here, but we wouldn't have yeah. as much fun as we're about to have yeah. with you, Isaac. <laughs> well, that's what I like to hear, man. Okay, Tom, we'll start with you. What are you smoking on? And tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm smoking on a Perdomo. That's normally the brand I'll, I'll grab when I'm here at Battleground. This is a Taba Calera and very mild uh, to medium smoke and delicious. So, yeah, I'll, I'll go back to these. Okay. You'd, you'd recommend well. it for a first-time smoker? Oh, or? yeah. It's, it's a good – Perdomo is a good first-time smoke. Okay, cool. And Tom, where are you from? What do you do? What do you like to do? Well, I was born and raised here in Columbia, Tennessee, and I'm a local attorney here and been practicing for about 30 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have an office just down the street about two blocks away, and oh, I spend a lot of time out in the door outdoors with my family. Uh, I've got a son that we hunt and fish quite a bit, and so I just enjoy being here in beautiful Middle Tennessee. Man, what do you like to hunt for? Oh, we we normally hunt uh, like wild uh, like wildfowl, like mm-hmm. uh, ducks and geese and mm-hmm. uh, anything that flies. Mm-hmm. And if it and flies, uh, it dies, huh? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, we we do a little turkey hunting, a little deer hunting mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Cool, man. You excited for turkey season? Oh yeah, it'd be coming up yeah. here in a couple of weeks. So. Mm-hmm. Cool man, I'm excited about it. Well, sweet. Uh, I, okay, John. Yes. You, yeah, you're good. Yes, uh, what are you smoking on? And tell the people a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm smoking a DBL or Double Big Leaguer uh, Maduro, so a little bit darker stick. Mm-hmm. It's a good stick when you move from where Tom is after you smoke mm-hmm. some Perdomos. It gets you started well. This this one gets to more of a medium to maybe more heavy bodied. Okay. Uh, produces a lot of smoke. For whatever reason, I just like that. <laughs> uh, I'm originally from New Orleans, Louisiana, and uh, I worked for a Fortune 500 company uh, for 38 years before I retired oh, wow. here to Columbia. We chose Columbia as our home. And my wife, Leanne, and I moved here about six years ago, and we have a few acres, and we enjoy the horses and the chickens and, and occasionally the people. And we yeah. enjoy them when we come here to Battleground most of the uh-huh. time. Okay, so did you move... To Columbia from Louisiana? Actually, or? no, from right. Illinois. Okay. Uh, we moved around about eight or nine times around the country. Oh, so we've lived a few places. And uh, yeah, and picked this one as the one we wanted to settle in. And we've been thrilled to be here. Love Columbia. Man. Okay, so how did you pick a retirement town when you <laughs> lived all these different places? How did you settle on Columbia? So we had a few criteria. Uh, being from the South, we wanted to move to the South. Mm-hmm. Uh, we spent a few years in New Jersey and a few years in Illinois. Well, three different times in Illinois. So oh, we've wow. had a, we had a lot of snow in our uh, background, mm-hmm. and we wanted to move back South. We're very comfortable here. We're obviously from the South. Both mm-hmm. my wife and I are from the South. And uh, so we looked for some place that we'd have four seasons, but none of them being too very difficult on you, you know, too hot or too cold or whatever. We looked for where the cost of living would be reasonable and retirement, that's important, when Tennessee's a great state to live in for Mm -hmm. that. And we love the rolling hills and quite frankly, love the people. It's just a wonderful place to be. And so we looked at the Nashville area and Uh as we widened our search, we wanted some property and uh, hitting south of Nashville to Columbia worked out beautifully. Man, you got in at the right time too. It was, uh, it's really grown and it's continuing to grow. It's a wonderful place to live. Man, cool, man. Happy to hear it. Welcome to Columbia. Thank you. So, All right, David Cruz, what are you smoking on? And tell the people about yourself. 
No uh, cussing. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I'll try. No promises. <laughs> no, I, I'm smoking a Casa Cuevas, and um, it's a Maduro. I have, you know, it's the first time I smoke it, and to be honest with you, it's, it, I'm enjoying it. I think it's a great cigar. And I'm more of the kind of smoker that every time I go into the cigar store, I'll try something new, and that's what I did today. And for the most part, I'm always pleasantly surprised, but this Casa Cuevas is, is really, uh, you know, it's really been a very pleasant surprise. I'm really enjoying it. And a little bit about myself, I'm also a local attorney, uh, been practicing for about 11 years, and um, just uh, really enjoy what I do for a living, and I'm married, and I got four wonderful children, uh, well, two stepchildren and mm -hmm. two biologicals, and uh, they're all great kids. Um, I'll talk about one of them uh, because we are smoking cigars, and, mm -hmm. and then I'm a little biased to this brand of cigars, which is not widely known yet, but it's uh, Canab Cigars. And mm -hmm. Can I mention that here? Yeah, go, go for it, man. Yeah. And uh, if anybody's interested, they could look it up at uh, CanabCigars.com, and it's C-A-N-N-U-B-C-I-G-A-R-S.com. And CanumCigars.com. And uh, my son actually is the manufacturer of those cigars. And uh, I think they're great cigars. Uh, mm -hmm. They are a little different than uh, just the regular tobacco cigars. Mm -hmm. But uh, they're legal. And yeah. you could smoke them in any state. So uh, check it out. I think you won't be disappointed. Okay. Um, and uh, uh, a lot uh, a lot like my, my friend here, John, uh, that... He um, was looking for a great place to live and raise a family, and that's what I found here in Tennessee. It's a, it's a great state, great people, uh, great values, and I pray to our good Lord that it doesn't change, ever. <laughs> Man, so how long have you lived in Tennessee? I've been in Tennessee since 1997. I've lived in Tennessee longer than I lived anywhere else, so this is home for me. Oh, and where were you at? right before uh prior to that i was traveling with a company that i was working for and uh but i grew up in miami and prior to that i was born in new jersey man mm -hmm. now you're here in columbia tennessee man. columbia tennessee and uh and, and it's by it's a blessing cool it's by man. the grace of god i'm here man so we have two attorneys and you worked in corporate america i did what was your position at uh your fortune well at, at the end i was an operations vice president and executive with the company Okay, and what would you do prior to that? What was your background in? Uh, that was my background. Okay. I came right out of college, started working for them, and worked for them for 38 years. Wow. Yeah. Man, and you enjoyed it? Oh, love it. Sounds like it if you're there love for 38 it. years. Just like it. Columbia, the people were the very best part, but mm -hmm. when you work for a quality company that has good values, very much like David was describing Columbia, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. you, you stick with it. Really? Yeah. Cool, man. All right, man, well, let's get into it. Which one do y'all want to hit first? Do you have any preference or just want to roll? Let's roll. Let's roll. All right. So we're going to try to get two topics per roundtable. So everyone listening, uh, these roundtables are designed to bring people with different views and ideologies and backgrounds together to discuss different topics. And so hopefully people that want to know more about certain things going on, this one's it's, you know, it's kind of a serious topic, but more of like a lighthearted, applicable that anyone can get behind topic. That's kind of be the goal to limit it to two per episode. Uh, so today we'll be talking about cancel culture. And then we'll also be talking about social lives slash social media slash finances, how they're intertwined, how they all influence each other. And uh, I mean, I think finances, especially as a young person, 
I think it's just a very valuable topic to hear older, wiser people talk about it and their experiences and hopefully having a lot of younger listeners, they'll be able to, you know, gather something and go be faithful financial stewards. So it's kind of the goal of that. Um, Julian, who was on first, talks about the different topics that are always going on downstairs. One thing I love about coming here, so of course, I met you guys, but it is one of those cigar shops that you walk in and everyone is interacting. Uh, I've been to a lot of other cigar shops. I'm sure you guys have too. And, you know, sometimes people watching sports, which is fine. People on their phones, working on their computer, reading. That's fine. But, like, every time you walked in, everyone's always talking. And you'll there's times I walked in and don't know anybody. And you sit down and you meet everyone and shake hands. And next thing you know, you're talking about all these issues. And everyone's sharing their takes and everyone's asking questions. And it's just like this little, like, conducive environment for it. So hopefully the round tables will, you know, carry on that, that tradition. So uh, Julian sent me a list of different things people have been talking about downstairs. So if y'all been in with the social and finance talks, and hopefully y'all have a little more to say on that than I do. Uh, so first, cancel culture. Just a quick definition, anyone who doesn't know who's listening. Uh, it's the idea of ostracizing someone in a professional, social, or historical setting because of actions deemed unacceptable. Um, so there are a lot of stuff that's going on, uh, especially from the summer after the George Floyd stuff till now, where people started looking at different historical figures. Some that come to mind are our founding fathers. Uh, Winston Churchill was a big one because you started seeing it, how the, the George Floyd incident and race in America started you know, kind of bubbling over to the other parts of the world, and they were looking at their different figures. So you know, Winston Churchill and stuff that he said has been called racist now. And so now we're, we're looking at Winston Churchill and there's been times in England that he's been canceled. Uh, then there's stuff as of like Bill Burr. He's a comedian who hosted part of the Grammys last week and he had to present one of the awards and some of the jokes he made about, uh, I think he was given like the uh, Latina musical artist, like best musical artist in Latina music category or something. And so he was making a joke about being a white male presenting that and how he's going to get canceled for it. And he made some more jokes. And, of course, they were calling for him to get canceled. You know, So there's stuff like that. There's stuff like Kevin Hart, who was supposed to host the Oscars a few years ago. And they found some of his tweets from 2009 that they said were homophobic. So he couldn't you know, host the awards. I guess it was nine years later. So we have all that kind of stuff. And then there's stuff that goes down to the, the lower, more ordinary people. The Christian Baker, he's now in another lawsuit because... Some customers were asking him to do a transition surgery celebration cake, and he's also had multiple lawsuits that he's won. That's got all the way to the Supreme Court, and now he's in one right now because he's refusing to make a transition surgery cake. And so they're trying to cancel him. Um, you know, the Hobby Lobby, Chick-fil-A, their stance on gay marriage, there's all that going on. So cancel culture, it's very broad. So I kind of want to, we can touch on it broadly and touch on examples, whatever y'all want to talk about. I just want to hear y'all's takes on it, especially from a legal standpoint, from interacting with people at a corporate level where you have to include a bunch of different people and we can talk. So feel free to speak up. I can ask directly whatever's easiest. Um, but first, just where do we draw the line? Well, the li- I would just start out and just say that the, the line's a difficult thing to draw because who gets to draw it? That would be my first thought on it. Uh, we, we have many issues in our country, as we do around the world, mm-hmm. uh, that need to be addressed. The issue with cancel culture that disturbs me is that we're not trying to change something by way of education. We're trying to change it by way of shutting people down. 
One thing I can tell you, you mentioned the corporate culture, I can tell you that my company nor I would have been nearly as successful as we were if we tried to weed certain people out and only include certain people in, mm -hmm. which include people with different views. Um, and, and so whether it's, whether you want to talk religion or race or anything, you get your best result mm -hmm. when the people sitting at the table bring various perspectives to the table, particularly the ones you can't have. When the three of us have a conversation with you, this is a big generational difference. We can learn from you and you can learn from us. So if we decided to shut you down because we didn't like something about your generation, mm -hmm. what kind of world are we really leaving, right? What is the legacy? So I would say, where do you draw the line? Uh, I don't think the cancel culture as we define it, as you mm -hmm. defined it earlier, should even exist because it's intended to shut down people without educating. So should we try to educate those who behave in ways that we find inappropriate? And if we educate, then maybe they can learn and over time change their behaviors to where this is a better place. Mm -hmm. So I would tell you, drawing the line, I don't think anybody gets to do that. Mm -hmm. I just do think if we tried to sit down and have conversations, dialogue, like you're doing here, Isaac, we would learn and we'd move forward in a better way than just canceling people that's great tom any thoughts where do we draw the line well you know of course we're in a cigar shop here and a lot of the things that we do here when we do get together as patrons of battleground we share our ideas and it's you know we may disagree with each other on various issues or the culture or historical figures that should continue to be recognized and but uh, you know we all share our viewpoints and and like i said we may not always agree but we we, we accept each other's viewpoints mm -hmm. and i think that's part of what john was saying is is it comes back to education uh, we all need to understand our own backgrounds or the old, our backgrounds and where we, where we grew up where we came from what what historical figures we studied in you know in school and let's let's celebrate some of the historical attributes of our of our country as opposed to tearing it down uh, it really bothers me to see you know some of our statutes being destroyed or taken down because you know for instance christopher columbus uh, you know i i uh, yeah i just don't understand how you can try to erase history when you know he's the one that apparently just discovered america so uh I, I would i would caution us in trying to erase our history in those respects do you think there's ever a time where that is the right move? Uh, maybe some, some people or figures or, or times that have been glorified. Is there ever a time to, I, don't, I can't say a race, but maybe look at it from a different perspective? Uh, there may be. I, I, think, I think that you know, people can, there, there's really no bright litmus test that that you can really say this this is what should be disregarded in our history or 
omitted from our history. I, I think time will will allow what we study and what we celebrate and try to preserve. Yeah. All right, David. Where do we draw the line? <clears throat> well, I. That's the that's the point that John made, and I agree with it. Who gets to draw the line? Uh, so, in my opinion, um, I believe that cancel culture is extremely dangerous, and I believe it's being used as a weapon by the left. I also um, think that uh, you know that saying. You know, we we grew up with sayings, and sayings are they still are they're still around because they withstand the test of time. So. The saying that those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. Right. So we have uh, we we need to preserve history uh, as as best as possible. Whether we agree with it or not, that's a different uh, topic for discussion, and that's where education comes in because that gives the ability to a parent or a society to educate the masses on that history and therefore where it keeps us from being doomed to repeat it and unfortunately i think uh the left is doing a disservice to mainly minorities because um minorities uh will benefit from knowing that history and those that are not in the minority mm -hmm. get educated because of that history. So I think it's very dangerous. It's a very dangerous step that the left is doing, and I believe they're not doing it for the benefit of the masses, but for the benefit of the few individual elites that are using that as a weapon now. Uh, so I, I definitely think it's extremely dangerous, and I caution everyone, our founding fathers and all of our soldiers, uh, have fought and given their lives to create uh, the great equalizer, which is the Constitution of the United States of America. And uh, those uh, um, Bill of Rights, especially, you know, number one is, uh, you know, freedom of speech. And they were put there by our founding fathers because we never wanted to be in the position where we had one side over the other telling us how, what we can say, how we can think, and even what religion we should be practicing. So uh, I definitely believe it's something extremely dangerous, and I caution everyone, and I would ask everyone to, you know, whether you're on the right or the left, to uh, not to succumb to that and actually fight that with everything we have. Isaac, uh, if I can just add this, David brought up something that stirred this in my mind in terms of uh, conversations that I had with so many of the people I had the pleasure to work with over the years. And when we look at some of the issues of the day, uh, which frankly were issues from the very beginning of our country, it's just people didn't have a voice. He mentioned founding fathers. Picture for me, if you will, who those people were. Picture that we had a photo in here right now of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Women weren't in that conversation. Yeah. Blacks weren't in that conversation. And I could go on and on and who wasn't in the conversation. These were extremely wealthy, aristocratic, white men. So why would we expect it to be any different that what they did and the rules they made and how we began to evolve came from the leadership and the majority decision makers being white men? 
But over time, people began to listen, see their ways. Over time, too much time we could argue, but that would be just an argument we could have. Women got to vote, right? African Americans got to vote and others. Right. The point I'm making is the country was not founded trying to be a white aristocratic, it's us and nobody else. But essentially, that was the group. They were very wise, mm -hmm. but they also missed a lot. So I'd say, for me, instead of the statues being torn down, how about we erect some statues of people from those same time periods who were not looked at, who were overlooked? How about we put more statues up? How about we recognize people that were not recognized from then until today? Mm -hmm. Instead of tearing down, quote, our history, which you cannot erase, Right. How about we tell more of our history, which is what was going on at the time and who was important outside of this one group of people that did what they did. I think we'd stop canceling people and we would open up to listen and hear from more people, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's great. It's like the complete inverse of cancel. It's keep what we have, add more to it. I've never thought about that. Tell the whole story. Yeah, yeah that's great. Tom. What are you thinking? We're talking about the Constitution. You guys being working in law, I know the Constitution is, I mean, it's the foundation for it. I mean, what is your view on the Constitution and how that's, I guess, kind of what he was talking about, just influence history and stuff going on today? Well, I think it all goes back to our Bill of Rights, as David said. Uh, and the Founding Fathers picked us their first Bill of Rights was to have freedom of speech and and no establishment of religion, uh, you know, freedom of the press, things of that nature. And, and I think we've got to keep that all in mind that our founding fathers, whether they were the aristocrats, mm -hmm. uh, they, they saw the value in not being censored. Mm -hmm. And so I'm often, often look at, you know, our Bill of Rights and see, you know, what order you know, another one, you know, that's Second Amendment, you know, dealing with right to bear arms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's interesting that I'm sure they're all equal, you know, as far as their priority. But, again, look, look at the order they were put in. They put a premium on freedom. That's great. All right, anyone have anything final to add just talking about that? Okay, I do have a quick question since you all both hit on education. Um would that be more of, like you said, like an in-home role of the parents? Or is that, hey, we could start changing curriculum in schools to include more of this kind of stuff? Well, in, 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 in my case, I, I definitely believe that education starts at home. Yeah. However, I, I do uh, understand and I do deal with the realization that not everyone gets an education at home. So, um, you know, I do think that as a society uh, and, uh, you know, and, and this, this is just going to branch out to all kinds of things, but uh, as a society, we should have a responsibility to educate and educate on our history. And again, that gives us the opportunity. If we erase that history, we cannot go back and teach people why we are where we're today. Uh, based on that history so that the, you know the youth and them as they grow up they understand that and they are not doomed to repeat it so yeah and I, I fully agree I, I would just say this I think both is the answer that I would give you mm -hmm. uh, ideally it would start in a family ideally 
Mm-hmm. And I think we need to do all we can for that to occur. Mm-hmm. The problem is, as families are raised, they tend to think alike. Tend to, not right. always, but they tend to think alike. Because what are you raised by? What are you hearing? What are you seeing? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the quote that comes to my mind is... Uh, we're trying to light cigars around here. We're having trouble with the lighter. But, the, <laughs> but, but the David's brought his own, which I think uh, has been a big help. Um, the quote that comes to mind is, what you do speaks so loudly, I can hardly hear what you say. Well, in the family, children watch parents, cousins, uncles, aunts, etc. They learn by what they see. So if our behavior is like we'd like to see it, as we're all talking about this, then you do learn in the house. If the behavior is not ideal, you learn that as well. Yeah. So the family is clearly the start. But the schools are necessary because not every family is going to be good at teaching. And teachers do such a fabulous job of that. I think we need to just think more. I'll say mm-hmm. it just once again a different yeah. way, and I'll let it lie. Instead of erasing history, let's pick up our pencil, our pen, and let's pencil in more. Mm-hmm. Let's write more. Let's tell more history. Uh-huh. What was going on with African Americans back in this time, right? I mean, let's tell that history instead of tearing down statues yeah. of people who thought the way they thought back in that time. So, you know, that's just, I agree. The education, I think it has to be both. But clearly the family is, is where everything begins. That's great. Yeah, thank you. Any final thoughts on education before we move forward? No. I'd love to talk about school cho- choice sometime, too. We'll have to say that for another. Uh, you can find there. us here at Battleground yeah. quite often, <laughs> and we're willing to That's talk right. about pretty much anything. Yeah, I feel like every time I'm in here, y'all are in here. Okay. Um, next question. Okay, since we are talking about historical figures, what about judging them in their context? You know, versus holding them to 2021 standards. You know, stuff has changed. Thank you. You know, uh, we do learn more. But, I mean, can you, do you still keep people around? Is it important to keep them around and talk more about that context? Or is it, hey, that was wrong, so you should, you know, not glorify that kind of behavior? Yeah, I would, I think that's appropriate to consider the historical context of some of these historical figures that we do uh, honor. Yeah, we... We have a, a a local home that's the home of James K. Polk, who was what, the 16th president of the United States. And yeah, you, know, you have to look at you know some some of the historical context of the early 1800s and 1840s and 50s when he was president, and you know take that into account. You know. Of, what their viewpoints were in, in in light of history and where where people were thinking at that time. Hmm. All right. Well, I, I just uh, echo the same as Tom here. Uh, you know, we need to keep them around uh, for a number of reasons, both good and to reflect because on the bad because they they all had uh, great contributions to our country, and they also. Uh, in a personal way may have had some negatives to them uh, you know andrew jackson another great tennessean you know he did great things for the united states of course what he did to the indians you know one would argue was not, you know was savage but at the end of the day if we do away with andrew jackson from history 
who's going to teach the good and the bad, you know? And where does that leave us? Again, doomed to repeat it. And maybe not with the Indians. Maybe it'll be another class of people. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, I definitely think it's, a, it's, it's a, a dangerous move, this cancel culture. Mm-hmm. I think we all have things we're proud of. I think my bet is at this table, and even at your young age, mm-hmm. there are things you wish you wouldn't have done. Yeah, wish you wouldn't have said. So what I think is we need to recognize people in the past and present, because remember, there'll also be a future when anybody that talks about any of us, provided anybody ever does, uh, let's hope that they understand the context of the time for us. Having said that, we can talk about what they did not do well, what they did not contribute that they could have. We can talk about how they could have been a better leader for all. We could talk about that. Again, we could, I won't call it rewriting history, we just could write part of the history that isn't there. Yeah. It isn't there because it wasn't written about. So I think at the end of the day, let's stop trying to strike people down. How about instead we start to lift other people up that weren't lifted up in the, our past and even today? Mm-hmm. That, that seems to me to be a very humane thing to do. Give a little grace. You don't have to like it, but you also have a voice. So many more people today have a voice. Let's use the voice. Anything you want to add to that? You're up here, right time. Well, um, sit down, David. Um, So there's a lot to be said about it. First off, when you you look at these historic figures for whatever they are, um, a lot of people don't want those figures. I mean, when, when you see something, uh, that's in your face. It's a reminder of uh, of things that were bad. I don't want to see Nathan Bedford Forrest on a horse uh, charging a um, a group of people. Uh, 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 what do you call it? A statue of him, mm-hmm. because that reminds me of who Nathan Bedford Forrest was and what he stood for. So I don't think we need to eliminate him, but I think there's a place for all of that, right? So whether it's a, a museum uh, that you have these figures and these, these, these uh, 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 monuments or whatever, but I don't think it needs to be monuments that were so painful to a lot of people. So I think that the, the biggest problem is, and I'm going to throw this out there, so for white folks, um, white people don't really understand you know, uh, black culture in a way that these negative icons if you will, uh, to, to white, to the, these icons, I would say to white folks, you know, were, you know, you can look at it and say it was part of my history. It was part of the South. It was, but it was also negative. And it was very painful to people of color, you know, that these icons are out there. And so I think at a certain point, no, we don't need to get rid of them, but I think there's a place for them. I don't want to drive down the street and see them. Now, the other part is, you know, we've talked to some of my friends, that said maybe the appropriate piece of this would be to put a separate plaque next to him. Say uh, Nathan Bedford Forrest was, and I'm just using him as an example. Yeah. There's a few other examples he's a local. out there. Yeah, yeah he's a local. Yeah. <laughs> Is, uh, uh, he did this and he did that. However, you know, a, mm-hmm. a counterpoint. And then maybe a picture of, uh, of, of something else that's next to it. So I, I don't know what the answer to that is. Yeah. So it, it's, it reminds me of uh, being in the military and when it was the fall of Saddam Hussein. 
And so uh, when that statue came down, they didn't leave it up. You know, the U.S. military didn't leave that statue up, you know, to as a reminder of who he was for his history. No, they took it down because he was a tyrant. And that was the first thing that we did as an army or as a, as a military force. We took down those memories. But why can't we do it here? So then when you talk about people having issues uh, about removing uh, uh, these statues, these monuments, so on and so forth, that's the first freaking thing that we did. You know, when we went over, you know, in Iraq, that's the first thing we did when we were over in World War II, when we, uh, you know, uh, toppled uh, uh, statues of uh, Hitler and toppled statues of Mussolini and toppled statues of people who were considered oppressors, you know. But when it comes to the U.S., we have a different standpoint. And that's what I don't really understand. And, and so it's good for us to do it as conquerors in other lands. But in our, in our society, we want to keep them because it was part of our history, you know? So, I mean, I, everybody has their own opinions about it, but right, that's right. my opinion. And, um, but if it wasn't such a, uh, uh, a part of history, then why do we take down the Saddam thing? It was the Americans who did that. Right. You know, why did we take down uh, a hist- or uh, monuments of Mussolini? Guess what? It was the American invading, invading forces who did that. Why did we take down and uh, burn pictures of Hitler when we came in World War II? Well, guess what? It was the Americans that did that. But when it comes to America, we can't screw with our monuments and our history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I'm going to drop the mic. No, well, yeah, one more question, since you brought up military. We just talked about the Constitution a minute ago. You, I, you, what you swore to do, what defend and uphold the Constitution from what enemies, foreign and domestic. How do you view the Constitution as somebody who fought for 26 years to defend it and uphold it? Uh, how do I view it? I view it as the law of the land. Um, I view it as a, uh, a way of life, a way that I live my life, or the way we should live our lives. But I also view the Constitution as outdated. And I, uh, I bring that up, of course, with two lawyers in the room who use the Constitution as a basis for a lot of arguments, I'm sure. But I also say the Constitution was written back in, or was drafted back in the 1700s for a different time. So I heard John say a few minutes ago that we are in different times. So uh, based on uh, that, I would say, why doesn't that apply to the Constitution? I mean, there have been a million, not a million, but there's been hundreds of amendments to the Constitution that have been drafted based on the need for today. You know, the need for uh, 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 new laws, uh, uh, new laws to fit today's society, whether it's social media, uh, uh, I know they call that First Amendment type of crap. Um, I want to swear so bad. I know, but I just can't, you have a lot know. of self-control right now. Yeah, I, I do, more than, <laughs> more than usual. But I, I think, I, again, I, I, it's just like that flag that's hanging outside uh, the, 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 uh, our entranceway that was the first thing I put up when I came here, and I've had this conversation with Tom before and got really emotional about it. This flag means everything to me. I mean, it means everything to me. The Constitution means everything to me because, again, based on those principles. Right. But it's also outdated. And I think that uh, some of the amendments or some of the Constitution needs to have amendments to it, you know, to, to, to make it relative today. It's old, you know. I'm not saying that you strike it down and you just tear it apart and you just, uh-huh. start, you know, having Jesse Jackson write it. You know, I'm just saying, you know, it needs to be uh, amended based on uh, current conditions. Uh, uh, 
that's my thoughts. And Isaac, I would just yeah. say this. Uh, Julie and I have had a lot of conversations in this entire area. Oh, boy. And, and we align on a lot. Not yeah. everything, of course, which is great. That's yeah. what makes for great conversation, yeah. right? And it makes for good learning. But I'll just go back to the point I made earlier because he's making this point beautifully. You don't have to get rid of the Constitution, but let's amend it to the realities of today. You don't have to get rid of the statues. You can. But how about we erect statues of who else in that time was important to black people that don't have statues? Well, how about we erect some of those statues? How about we recognize everyone in history for who they were uh -huh. and what they did, the good, the bad, and the ugly? And, and let's, let's not just say black folks. Let's say uh, Native Americans, who, by the way, you guys stole the country from them. Can I say that? Well, you just well, did. I did. Okay. <laughs> you might want to edit that out. <laughs> but, you know, Native Americans and Hispanics and whoever else is yeah. at that time, you know. Because, again, I mean, we, so, you know, minorities are all lumped into one. You know, the yeah, only it's all people, people of color. Right. And, and, and there's no white minorities, so to speak. You know, there's a lot of people that claim different ethnicities. But there's a difference between, you know, an, eth uh, an ethnicity and a minority, so to speak. So I think a lot of those things were offensive to a lot of people. You know, let, let's talk about the Italians, you know, when they first came. Let's talk about the Japanese who were interned here yeah. in the United States, after, you know, during uh, World FDR, War II. FDR, yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people that have been offended by something over the, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of people that are offended by stuff that they shouldn't be offended by, you know, if you really think about it at the end of the day. So... But yeah, so I didn't mean to cut you off, John. But I just I didn't want no. to just say for black people. I only said that, Julie, to be honest, because because I'm here. Because you're here, and we're here, and we're having this conversation. Okay. But couldn't agree with you more. Um, just where where is the United States in recognizing our true history, not just the history that's been written? Because much of our history has not been written. So how about let's write it? Why not? Everybody should be represented. We shouldn't be trying to. Cancel some, cancel culture, right, right what right. this topic was. How about let's not cancel some? How about let's lift others and let's tell the truth about everyone? We all have faults. If yeah. you talk yeah. about me, you're going to talk about some not-so-good things and some good things. At least that's what we should do. But again, I agree with you. In the U.S., the tendency clearly is to move forward instead of recognize what's been behind us that did not serve us well. Right. And, you know, and then there's... There, there's the, I don't know if you guys have covered this topic, but there's a sensitivity behind that too. You know, I mean, a lot of people are so sensitive these days that, you know, um, on both sides of the fence. Right. That, um, you know, any, any, uh, any attempt to amend the Constitution or to remove a statue or to relocate a statue, people just fly off the hook. And, and I get it because people are very strong in their opinions. I'm, I'm very strong in my opinions about certain things, you know. And uh, David and Tom know that. I mean, uh -huh. and John, I mean, you guys, all three of you guys have heard my rants and raves about different things. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, I, I, I don't know what the answer is. Um, yeah. I mean, we could sit here and we can talk about it. And I think the conversations need to be had. Um, but some people, and this is something, I, a conversation I had with my wife the other day, and it's funny that you guys brought this up. Uh, a lot of times, the um, and I'm just going to lay it out there. And yeah. I'm just gonna, Go for I, it. Just I, don't I'm just cuss. Tell you, yeah. I'm not going to curse. Yeah. So, <clears throat> certain conversations are had within a black household that are not had in any other places, and so we could relate 
to things that happen to us, you know, things that happen today to, to still. I mean, uh, you, I've heard a guy tell me the other day, he goes, why are you mad at me? I didn't own any slaves. Well, I'm not, you know, this is not about you owning any slaves and stuff like that, or stuff like that. I'm sorry, can you delete? <laughs> yeah. Okay, you can yeah. delete that. Or, or <laughs> I'm sorry, it was bound to come out. Yeah. But it was, it, it's, yeah, it's, it. it's about being sensitive and understanding why I feel the way I feel. Mm-hmm. However, me feeling the way I feel should not make you feel uncomfortable. You know, so that conversation needs to be had. I'm telling you how I feel, but it shouldn't make you uncomfortable. You should know how I feel and be sensitive to that. But at the same time, I don't want you to walk away and say you're not my friend anymore, or you know, Julian's a uh, uh, an anarchist or whatever it is. It's not what I'm going to tell you. You know, I mean, it, it's like the day uh, just happened recently. When um, I talked to a customer on the phone, new customer, uh, he called up and said, hey, you know, I'm mo- I've just moved to the area, so on and so forth. So I talked to him about the lounge. It was a very good conversation. Right. So he literally came in. It's not the first time this happened to me. He came in and goes, oh, man, I, I didn't know I was talking to a black dude on the phone. Man, you're really cool. And so that is a conversation that has happened, or that is a statement that has happened more than once, you know, that... You have to recognize me as a black guy rather than a person that owns a business that is welcoming to everybody that comes in. And so, to me, am I offended by that? Yeah, I'm offended by when people come in and say, I didn't know you were the owner. Okay, I'm behind the counter. I'm taking your money. I'm showing you around the place. And then at the end, the guy's, oh, I didn't know you were the owner. I says, okay, well, maybe that's legitimate. Or maybe that's like a black man can't own a business in Colombia, you know? I don't know what that is, but I feel some kind of way about it, but I let it go because there's other pressing things to do, and I just let it happen. Some people are ignorant, you know, or ignorant, I should say. I'm from people Chicago, like we say ignorant. What is ignorant? Ignorant, yeah. you know. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, those are, those are things that don't happen in your lives. Maybe David may have had some of it, but there's not, there's not things that happen in your lives, but those are things that I happen. But you guys don't see that. You know, and, and you know, it's, it's just it's just really weird to have that feeling and have that, that conversation with folks because, you know, their eyes glaze over and say, I don't know, Julian, get over it. Well, you know, okay, I do. I do. But I'm tired of it. You know what I'm saying? And, and it just, yeah. it, it just uh, kind of, um, I don't know, I'm done. So. Well, if Nathan Bedford Forrest walked in right now, would you serve him a cigar? I'd give him a cigar and a drink. Yeah. And I'd charge him double. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Julian. Man, I guess Tom, any any thoughts? I don't know if we uh, touched on anything yet before we move on. Any any final thoughts? On I anything? would just say this: the yeah. three guys sitting at this table, I know both of them well enough to say we are mm. extremely thankful that mm. we have a black man who has a cigar lounge that fosters the dialogue that Julian mm. does. It's the main reason we come back because I can go a lot of places to get cigars. Yeah. Right? Uh, he is a huge part of why we are here. Mm-hmm. Period. I would, I would agree. Although I would say I disagree, as usual, with a lot of what Julian <laughs> says. Not everything, because I do tend to agree with him a lot. But um, I'll give you some examples. Uh, yeah. As far as being a minority, you know, I'm probably the only minority in this table. However, I don't view myself as a victim nor as a minority. And um, so that being said, um, 
are both uh, Hispanic and, uh-huh. and a lot of my family's Jewish. Uh, now we came to the United States uh, through persecution in Spain. So if we're going back and working a race history, I, I again I think that's a very dangerous thing. For example, I. I will defend and I will go to war to defend the right for somebody to have a different point of view, even if that point of view is a Nazi flag. Why? Because our great constitution, uh, although it was written by a bunch of white men, is what has given us, like I said, it's the great equalizer. It took some time through history, but it was that precious document that gave Julian freedom, that gave julian's people the right to vote and women Mm -hmm. and you know and we welcome people from all over the world and and we give everybody that equal opportunity and the equal rights it's through that precious constitution that uh it's the great equalizer and uh to change it uh i think that's another dangerous thing now there is amendments and i'm not going to say that you know there's hundreds of amendments because i would say that julian was wrong when he said that i would also say that i would also say that it wasn't the united states army that took down the saddam hussein statute i think it was the iraqi people that took down their Uh own dictator statue but um I think it's dangerous to erase history. I mean, um, um, you know, uh, I have one son that's Christian, I have one son that's Jewish. And uh, to be able to educate my children on what that Nazi flag means, I think, uh, you know, that's invaluable. And if we're going to do away with it, then, you know, that's going to get lost in, in, in the future. And, yeah. and that education will be lost in the future. That's great. All right. Any final thoughts on that? Okay, I guess I'll do one more question around cancel culture, then we'll move on. Um, how do we differentiate between boycotting and canceling? Because I'll, I'll just say, I've seen, I'm, I'm conservative, I'm sure y'all know, but uh, I see stuff on conservative Twitter, so that's where I get a lot of my news from, that's right, man. I'm a proud conservative. Um, but there's times where, uh, I don't know, someone will share their stance, or they'll promote a certain ideology, or business, or whatever, and you might not agree, or, you know, a lot of stuff with Trump. Trump was a hot topic. It was easy to hate him. Um, you got a lot of backing when you hated him. And so uh, conservatives would see people blasting their way of life, and then they would go, hey, don't shop from that business. Don't support that. Actually, don't want that. And a lot of times it was defended as, well, no, we're just boycotting. And for me, it's like I don't agree with their ideology, but to me that seems like canceling. And I could be wrong. But how – and also it is our right to boycott, and that's part of capitalism too – so how do we differentiate between boycotting somebody or something and canceling somebody or something? Oh, I would, uh, again, you know, uh, say that's a great point. And I think you can, you know, I, personally, you should boycott. You have the freedom to boycott whoever mm-hmm. you want. Uh, but we have to respect that they have that right to have that point of view and right. that opinion. And, uh, and I think it, it goes down a dangerous slippery slope and i keep saying it's dangerous because it will bring us to the point where we're going to start fighting each other and people need to be aware of that and the you know and if we go back in history everybody's been persecuted so uh let's say for in my family's example so what are we going to do we're going to go back and now start banning or start turning against every spanish christian there was that persecuted the jews 
I mean, where does this end, you know? And, and if we go further back, you know, most of our ancestors came here because of some persecution, whether it was religious or otherwise. Right. They came to this great country. So I do believe that it's um, something that uh, our history, we need to uh, hold dear and educate rather than to eliminate. Hmm. I, I, I like what David said. It's, yeah, we may not agree with someone boycotting or doing something uh, that that may be tagged as boycotting, but that that is their freedom to do so. Uh, mm-hmm. It's their freedom of expression or freedom of speech, mm-hmm. and you know we need to recognize that. I'm if somebody was boycotting a particular business or or a company or whatever the case may be because of something they did or said mm-hmm. uh you know it, it's it goes back to you know our first amendment and having those freedoms mm-hmm. you know i think i think of it isaac a little like this um if each of us were to eliminate everybody who thinks differently than we do because we don't like that kind of thinking right what, what would we have if 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 all conservatives disappeared tomorrow what would things look like if all I'll North it, Korea? <laughs> well, well, I mean, you, I mean, yeah. you make a good point. The point I'm making is, and and I wanted to add this because I wasn't yeah. just right. What if all non-conservatives? And I'm going to say that because there's so many labels we put on so many things. You can call it whatever you want, right? But if so many non-conservative, if all of them were eliminated, what would we have? I'd suggest a much weaker country. We would have uh, a, a much uh, a life that is less full and less lived. By only having those who look, think, and act like we want, and so, and that's my main point about the whole cancel culture piece. Don't cancel it. Educate. Help people learn. We have a lot of people in this country who don't understand. And Julian said it well, and we've had this conversation before. No, I'm not going to know what it's like inside a black household because I wasn't raised in one, and I'm and I'm not black, so right. I can't know. But if I don't have the conversations with him, and if he isn't willing to have the conversations with me instead of yeah. dismissing me, right? Then how am I going to learn? So I think we all have something to learn from everybody. And that, I would tell you, is the nucleus of the place we're sitting in right now. Is David and I can have a conversation, and we might agree on 90%, but I'd learn from the 10%. The 90%, we're good. Right. Right? I need to learn the 10, or the 20, or 30, or 50, or whatever. So I think that's where we find ourselves. We find ourselves where... If you don't believe what I believe, you should believe different. If you're not my religion, you should be my religion. If you're, mm-hmm. and I, I cannot see a good end to that. Man, all right. Any final thoughts on cancel culture before we move on out? I think we've um, pretty much wore that one out. <laughs> Hit it all. <laughs> all right. Well, let's talk social lives and finances. Um, I we'll just, we'll start with finances. Just all three of you. What's the best financial advice you've ever received? Uh, don't spend more than what you take in. <laughs> <laughs> Live within your means. Yeah, yes. Live within your means. Yeah, I would also, and I'm in this type of business of closing, doing residential closings for for people, and it's nothing more exciting to me is to see a first time home buyer. Uh, 
uh, have a closing with us and, and seeing where they're developing a nest egg for themselves. And, you know, not everybody can buy a home, but, you know, I think that the more we can promote home ownership, the more that I think would help folks develop that, that nest egg for, for the rest of their lives. I think people should focus on living for the day, saving for tomorrow. Okay, now what do you mean by that? Well, you can get so caught up in saving, investing, mm-hmm. do whatever, that you didn't enjoy the day. Hmm. Right? You can give up so much of whatever little or how much you have that you're not as happy as you could be. Hmm. But if you just spend all your time, money, and effort being happy today, tomorrow's going to be pretty bleak. And so I think live for the day but save invest and make sure you're focused on tomorrow as we get older and three people in this room can attest to this as we get older life does get more difficult in a number of ways and certainly it does health wise etc right Mm -hmm. so i'm saying to you is you need to be prepared for what's going to happen that you don't know about how do you do it enjoy the day save for tomorrow so that when you need it if you need it however much you need it you You've, you've made a smart decision. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, if you could go back to 18 years old, knowing everything you know now, what's one thing you would do differently financially? Well, um, in, in my case, I started off later in life because I was enjoying my earlier years, you know, and uh, maybe I enjoyed them too much, but... I would have started, you know, earlier in life to look at um, where I wanted to be. Because this is the the one thing I try to educate my kids on is that time goes by really fast. And you don't realize that when you're young. You you think you're immortal. You're going to live forever. Uh, Right now, you know, if you look at a man and you're in your 20s and you look at a man in their 50s, you're thinking he's ages away and you're never going to get there you know however um those of us that are older and wiser we realize that life goes by at a blink of an eye it really does and you can't take any of this stuff with you so um you know you do want to plan ahead because life goes by really fast and you want to prepare for the future but you also want to live for today Uh, i have a a good friend of mine Uh, he's pretty wealthy But he tells me now that he wants to live more like me because I tell people I I'm I I live a rich man's life on a poor man's budget, you know, (laughs) and uh, and the way you do that is by um, again, you know, if you if you make 10, you don't spend 12, you know, if you make if you make 10, spend eight, you know, save two, you know. And, uh, and, and when I mean by spend, it's like don't go out and spend all eight. It's just, you know, you save two, you invest four, you spend four. You know, that, that would be, you know, my advice. And it's going gonna, it's gonna, to, you know, give you protection. It's going to give you security. And, um, you know, as heads of the family, whether you're a male or a female, uh, you want your family to be secure. And that's one way of getting there. So that would be my advice. Don't don't spend twelve when you're making ten. Hmm. All right. And our society is set up that way, unfortunately, where you right. know, yeah. uh, you 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 get enticed to 
uh, have the latest of everything and, uh, you know, live at, live the moment, you know. Mm-hmm. You do want to live, but you do want to plan for the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't want to throw the number out because Ramsey's right down the road. He knows way better. But to talk about, I don't know how many tens of thousands the average American family is in credit card debt alone. And then you throw on, you know, car notes and people are renting. Like my generation pretty much rents. The idea of equity is never really talked about. Then you have student loans on top of that. And so now you're looking at a bunch of young people and then you're, you're starting out like hundreds of thousands in the hole. You know, I don't know. It, it's a big topic and no one, it seems like no one talks about it, at least in my generation. And then you're looking at people that are, Y'all's age. My parents are the same age as y'all, so you're seeing that and stuff they wish that they would have started, you know, when they were my age. That's why my mom gave me a financial advisor early. It's like, all right, there's, there's a lot of stuff you need to learn that we didn't do, where people don't talk about it because it's not really talked about. So, um, when you yeah. look back at 18, I will tell you, looking back at 18, the things that occupied my time, mm-hmm. my effort, etc., uh, were more in the moment. Uh, as I got older and started to um, work hard and do well i often lost the moment Hmm. and that's why i started my conversation with you just to say live for the day i didn't say save for tomorrow i said live for today and save for tomorrow because you need to enjoy life as you go through it as david has said and it's it's you have no idea how fast it goes by until it's gone by and when it has, you go, oh, wish this, wish that. No, mm-hmm. I think what you need to wish. If I could wish what I would want 18, I would want more wisdom. I wish I had talked to more people inside and outside my family who are older than me mm-hmm. to learn from them. They have perspective. The best wisdom is wisdom from experience, not necessarily from books. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people who are willing to share, willing to mentor, willing to help young people. They just don't always get invited in, and they don't always step in. Um, so I think the more you could get mentoring, the more you could get advice, the more you, you, you would make better choices as you lived your life well for the day. That's great. All right, 18-year-old Tom, what would you, what would you want to do differently? Oh, I, I would, same thing with, with what David and John have echoed. Uh, yeah, the biggest surprise in life and I've heard someone say this, is the brevity of life. And, yeah, you want to, the sooner you can learn that that concept that, mm-hmm. hey, life does go by fast, the more you can think about your future mm-hmm. and, you know, where you want to be. And and so I, I, I agree with what John and David have, have said here today. Mm. Great. All right, any other financial tidbits, anything? Um, I've done well in real estate, so and I've done well in getting an education and having a career. So uh, that would be my advice to younger, the younger generation: uh, invest and in live life, and uh, you know, get a career, get a career because uh, it's always something that you can fall back on. Hmm. The only ad I'd have is uh, get get whatever career. Uh, makes your days worth living uh there's a lot of conversation today isaac you know about his college worth the expense etc and you know we can we can all judge that but i would tell you if you can't come out of a out of college to get the kind of job that's going to be worth what you put into college both money time and effort 
then maybe it's not college. Uh, you know, maybe it's the trades because I got to tell you, uh, when I when I need some things done around my house that I have never learned how to do, yeah. uh, I'm not calling college grads to do it. And I'm thankful for them and what they know. And <laughs> right, they right. make good money doing what they do. Absolutely. So you can live a good life going down the path that is the path for you. And that's the hardest thing to figure out. But the earlier you can figure it out, what you want to do with your life, mm-hmm. uh, the, the more successful personally you'll be. I like to judge my wealth, quite honestly, by the friends I have. Far more than I like to judge my wealth by how many dollars I have. Dollars don't make me nearly as happy as my friends do, as my family does. You don't really necessarily grasp that early, mm-hmm. uh, but you really will grasp. You will have to grasp it later. So the earlier you do it, better the life. I think. That's good, Tom. Any final thoughts? No, I, I, I just add on to what John said. Is is the sooner you can can realize on the front end of life. You know, how how quickly time goes by, the more choices you'll have down the road. Uh, whether it be trying to become financially secure on, as as soon as you can in the ways that Dave and John and I talked about, uh, I I, uh, I believe going back to to what we said is is trying to. Make sure that you know that we do plan for the future, like John said, mm-hmm. but also live today because you know a lot of a lot of the things that we we value is our friendships, being together here today, being able to talk about uh, our viewpoints. You know, those are those are just as important as you know having a uh, a net worth. That's great. All right, socially. I don't have any, you know, pre-written questions on this. So we can just talk. Uh, looking at people's social lives, how things are going, just socially, whether it's social media, the way people interact. I mean, what's one of the stark differences y'all have seen that's going on right now in 2021 compared to like when you guys were growing up, when you were my age in the world? Well, I would say it, it goes back to the topic of cancel culture. I think uh, people are being less tolerant because we're being more divided, and uh, that's unfortunate. So, that, again, uh, I'd say that's a, a dangerous, slippery slope. So um, I've had friends that have been really upset on social media because I may have a different viewpoint or I may be supporting a different candidate than they are and uh they don't want to hear it so they cancel you you know boom they unfriend you on facebook or what have you and um you know and i think that's sad i've never canceled anyone as a matter of fact uh i've had some run-ins with some people who i respect and i've told them i've said i'll leave your comment up there and this is why i disagree with it but they won't leave mine they'll go ahead and they'll they'll take mine off and you know and then they'll unfriend me and, uh, and I think that's very unfortunate. So I think socially uh, accepting different viewpoints, although you don't agree with it, but giving them the right to express it, um, I, I think we all learn from it. And I think that goes back to the original conversation we had. And I, I think that's something that we should guard. And, uh, and it's in our Constitution for a good reason. Yeah, I would go back to 
what I said previously is, uh, you know, back uh, when we were growing up, we didn't have any cell phones or social media to, you know, to really be a part of our lives. And I, I view what we're doing here today, what we do here routinely here, you know, at the cigar shop is we do, uh, express our ideas and our thoughts uh, we're, we're not all looking at our phones as far as what's the latest on Facebook or you know we're, we're all talking and I think that's so important like David said I may not agree with what Julia might 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 talk about or say but at the end of the day you know we're patting each other on the back and saying hey I appreciate you sharing with me you know your your thoughts and and I think social media distract distracts from you know having that open dialogue among among folks in a you know in a setting like this. Yeah, I agree, Isaac. I guess what I would just add is that uh, I believe I, for a long time I've believed that human beings are so are emotional animals. We 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 run off emotion a lot. Yeah, and uh, you know emotions are a wonderful thing uh, in many ways. One of the key ways I'd explain it to you is if I was stepping off the curb and all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I caught the public bus that was about to run me over. I don't have time to, in my mind, go, well, how many feet could I jump if I went off my left foot? Or what would I do if I just tried to fall to my right? Or what about... Fear mm-hmm. is a great motivator, in this case, to self-preservation. Right, yeah. The problem with social media that I see is it evokes an excess of emotion in people without the responsibility. I can write whatever I want. If I'm sitting here with you guys and I say something and I strike a chord, you have the opportunity to say something back to me and I have to be responsible for my words. Right, right. In social media, uh, not often, right? And so I think it can be used to access information. How I use it, I stay in touch with friends. I find out what's going on in their life when I might not otherwise because they're all over the country, mm-hmm. right? But if I'm going to use social media as a weapon, if I'm going to use it in that way, I think I'm going to stir a lot of emotion that creates more of this cancel culture idea, this idea of defriending somebody like David's had happen, right? We unfriend him. Yeah. You don't... Guess what? You'll never learn another thing from David in your life because you have cut him off. That does not seem to me to be wise. Um, I learn more from people that are different from me than I would ever hope to learn from people who are the same as me. So social media, I think, has done a lot of good and will continue to do that. I think as as people, Mm -hmm. we need to manage our emotions, Mm -hmm. take a deep breath sometimes, Maybe think about it a day or so. You might not unfriend David, and you might learn some things. Yeah, that's right. Have y'all seen the Social Dilemma? It's a. I think it might be a Netflix original documentary, but yeah, it's on Netflix right now. Have y'all seen it? I have not, but I. But I. I've heard. I've heard, I, heard I need it? to see it. Mm-hmm. I imagine it's along the same lines of what we're talking. Yeah. Have you about. heard? Have you seen it? No, I boycotted Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, it's uh, I don't know when I saw it. Sometime in the fall, 
But it was really interesting because it pretty much talked about the original intent intent of social media was like you were saying, to keep in touch with friends or family that are far away, that can document their lives. But with the algorithms they have set up, it just continues to drive the wedge because whatever you're seeing, these algorithms will reinforce what you're seeing and going off of a bunch of data that's being collected, it's only gonna continue to show you that. So if we took like QAnon, for example, and Antifa, you'd say they, they seem like they're extreme, but their timelines are only showing them that stuff and it's gonna continue to like push them down that way. Okay, you like that? You'll really like this then. Oh, you like that? Well, you recommend this. And while that's going on, they're not showing the other side. So they're thinking, well, I'm looking at the truth. Here it is in front of me. How come the other side's not seeing this? They're rabid. And so both sides are continuing to get more and more polarized. And the whole documentary is talking about that. And then these people that left big tech, whether it was for like ethical reasons or they just got out of it because it's just too draining. And they go, that wasn't the original intent, but this is what it's become. And so you look at the division we're seeing in the country and like social media it has a huge part to play in that because that's what the algorithms have done to people. It's just crazy. It's crazy to see because oh, that makes a lot of sense now. And the problem is we, we are mostly ignorant of what's going on behind the scenes, are we not? Oh, amen. And, and because we're ignorant of it, we don't realize that what keeps coming my way are either things I don't like because I'm always commenting on those mm-hmm. or things I do like. And now my life's just wonderful because everybody's just like me. Well, you know, there's a lot more to life than that. So I, I think yeah. you're right. And I, I would just say this. We can blame social media. I think we need to put a mirror up, look at ourselves. You get to make the decision, what you watch, what you listen to. For me, it always has been the people I surround myself with will determine the quality of person I am moving forward. So if you want to surround yourself with a lot of media, however you get it, that leans one way or another or goes up or down or wherever, you are going to be absorbing that. Your subconscious starts to see it and think it. And before long, you're thinking or acting differently than you ever really intended because you, you really maybe even didn't even understand what was happening to you. Uh, I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, and I'll give you an example that's uh, close to home. For example, and, uh, you know, I've given you a little bit about my past, but um, also, let's say, um, I'll take a figure like Malcolm X, you know, I could... If we go ahead and we cancel him, you know, because of his ideology, because he's got good and bad you could learn from, you know. Uh, for example, you could say, well, he was, a, I could educate my kids, he was a civil rights leader. Right. Uh, however, his ideology, which was communism, you know, I could teach them both, you know, good, the good and the bad, the, the good and the civil rights, the uh, bad, in my opinion on the communism. Uh, communism divided my family. You know, we're here in the United States due to communism. Uh, you know, communism destroyed uh, a great country, which was Cuba. And it's destroyed Venezuela, and it's destroyed North Korea, and it's destroyed many nations. And many people have been enslaved by that yeah. ideology. So if we go ahead and, and, and let's say I'm the one drawing the line, which is uh, what John said, you know, how dangerous this is, who's going to draw the line, and we go ahead and we cancel out Malcolm and Mav- X. Uh, well, you know, that takes away the ability, both for whites, blacks, and Hispanics, and everybody in between, uh, Indian, Asians, and everything, to be able to educate and say, well, look, you know, this was the issue with civil rights, 
and the fact that you know he was fighting for civil rights and you could go ahead and 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 uh give value to that and at the same time turn around and say well this is his ideology Mm -hmm. and this is why it's that ideology is not good so if you're canceling people you you take away that ability to educate you know one could say you know the clintons it's alleged that they were part of weather underground which is another communist movement so you know are we going to take away the statutes of the clintons because you know now they, they contributed to our country they was our president she was our first lady and although i don't agree it gives me the ability to educate my children on what they contributed and where i think they you know because we all have good and bad so where the bad is and um so who draws the line are we going to do away malcolm x because i tend to disagree with that ideology no let's have malcolm x let's go ahead and educate and have them there so we can educate the good and the bad and the clintons as well and uh those on the right as well Mm -hmm. which are the ones that are under attack at this very moment by the left so Mm -hmm. um so again you know uh it goes back to the original topic yeah a lot of of cancel culture is huge you're always seeing Mm -hmm. examples of you don't realize it Thankfully, none of us. I don't think it's been canceled. We're not not nearly big enough. But we'll <laughs> Except it. David on Facebook. Yeah. Apparently, I'm going to send you a friend request, yeah. David, because we. I'll make a couple different accounts. I'll tell you what. If you, yeah, if somebody unfriended you, I'm going to throw you a friend yeah. your way. And there you go. Well, thank you, Dan. Yeah. And it, it is crazy. I've seen. I don't always. My dad tries to talk me out of it in a way of po- posting some of my stances on things. But I have actually had people message me, whether it's on Facebook or Instagram or text. And they'll say they'll work for a big company, whether, you know, big like in, you know, PepsiCo or Coke or something like that, something to do with these big, massive companies. And they'll tell me that, man, they're not allowed to like or comment on my stuff, even though they wholeheartedly agree, because it goes against like the policies of the company. And they go, man, if someone found out I liked your post about, you know, X, Y, and Z, that could cost me my job. So I got to tell you privately, and I'm like, that's a, it's a shame. It really is. It's a shame, and you wouldn't want it the other way around either. Absolutely. So I agree. All right. Uh, as as we wrap up here, any final good quotes to leave people with? Pieces of advice, book recommendations, anything like that to leave with uh, listeners? Well, I would say uh, I'll quote uh, uh, one of our great founding fathers, uh, Benjamin Franklin, and he said that the nation that gives away its freedom for security shall have neither. And I believe that is exactly where, where, where we're heading. Uh, people are supporting uh, certain um, securities and they're losing their freedom. And at the end, you know, the reality is at the end, you're going to end up with a dictatorship, you know. And it happens in every uh, dictatorship, communist country where the people end up being slaves of the government, of the few elitists. So we need to protect that constitution and we need to fight for everyone's rights. Uh, and you know, in your rights end where minds begin. And that's the way we should look at each other and respect each other and learn from each other. I guess I would throw one thing at you on finance. Uh, something I think is uh, would be wonderful at any age is there's a website called Bogleheads, B-O-G-L-E-H-E-A-D-S dot org. Mm-hmm. John Bogle, who founded Vanguard, okay. which is a huge 
a mutual fund, ETF company, et cetera, the largest, in fact, I think. Oh, wow. Uh, this particular group talks about investing, and they talk about investing from the very simplistic, I got $100, what do I do? It's my first 100 mm-hmm. all the way to whatever you have. And there's a book out on it, and I think people, very easy to read, really help financially. Mm-hmm. Other books, I would just leave you with this part. Pick books that are opposite of you. Don't pick the stuff that thinks like you, writes mm-hmm. people write like you. No. So I'll give you an example. Uh, early book, early uh, as a young man, uh, I took an English lit class in college. And a friend of my family gave me a book called Grendel. Grendel is the monster in Beowulf. Now, many people may not know who that is, <clears throat> but if you read Beowulf, it's basically them fighting a monster. This particular book is that story from the monster's point of view. Huh, okay. And this is just my point. If I read things from others' point of view, I learn, I gain, I grow. If I read everything just like I think and that I like, I'm not sure how much growth there is. I just get a lot of affirmations that what I think and what I do is exactly right. Well, everything I think and do is not exactly right. Mm-hmm. So I would leave you with just think how to expand your mind to see and think like others. If you're of one religion, read something on another religion. You might be surprised what you learn versus what the media tells you or you see on the, uh, the news in the evening, right? Mm-hmm. So I would just say from that in terms of reading, other than the financial piece, I think just try to read what will expand your mind instead of just check the box and say, yeah, I was right with that, and I was right with that. I think you'll just learn more. Cool. Thank you. Tom? Oh, yeah. I, I, I think it goes back to everything we, we've said is is get the viewpoints of others, you know, like around a round table here that we are today. Uh, and I, I believe that you know, sometimes I change my my thoughts or my position on a particular issue just by listening to others. Yeah. Well, they make a good point, and if I could encourage anyone to to do anything in their lives, uh, is main thing is just be willing to listen, be a good listener, and and we grow as individuals by by the things that we hear from others that's great well thank you guys thanks for all that's first round table that's it hopefully there's more hope we have have y'all back different times hope we have a lot more topics isaac um, thank you we applaud yeah. what you're doing thank and you. as a young man starting out doing this you are bringing a lot of what we've talked about today to others who you might not be able to reach nor us through doing a podcast like you are so congratulations and all the success and i've just thank added you. you to my podcast so oh let's list. go man thank you i appreciate it guys yeah it'll be out soon probably next week so i just got to edit out julian's cursing <laughs> but, uh, they were ready to roll so tom dubois john fuer david cruz thank you guys so much for coming on cattle call podcast and uh this was a battleground south cigar lounge in columbia tennessee i was smoking a, a trc cigar and I, apparently this is the only place in the United States you can find them or else you got to take a trip to Nicaragua, which I'm not sure you can get in the country right now. <laughs> and also, I didn't talk about this yet, the Clyde Mays Alabama-style whiskey. Have y'all had that? Yes. Y'all tried it before? I have not. That was good. That was a super solid whiskey. I've never had, never even heard of it. I didn't know there was an Alabama-style whiskey. Yes, Tennessee is the only one I thought that had a, their own whiskey. 
There you go. So, Something to do as soon yeah. as this podcast yeah. is over. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, may take a quick trip down. So, yeah. So, Clyde Mace. It was good. I recommended it. it uh, you guys like whiskey. Uh, again, thank you guys. A lot of wisdom. That was great. So, thank you. Big shoes to fill for the next roundtable for thank sure. Thank you. So, Appreciate okay. being here. Yeah, we'll see you guys on the other side.